0: Welcome to King Size, a Stephen King podcast for obsessives by obsessives, with Matt Robinson and Simon Bolkin. So constant listeners, welcome back. Welcome back to uh, another episode of King Size with yours truly and the brilliant Simon Balkan, who, as we find as as we approach the depth of winter uh, uh, in this section, starting with chapter 16 of the Dead Zone, we are, you know, approaching the depths of winter in reality here as well. Christmas is just a few days away. And the finishing line of 2024 was in sight with my co-pilot, Cy, nearly finishing the whole year without having so much as a sniffle, which, if you've known this man for as long as I have, is almost unheard of. And quite frankly, I was thinking, my God, what what uh, what pills have you been taking, sir? But you have been struck down slightly by the lurgy, uh, which is giving you an even sexier, huskier voice. Uh, let me check in with you. Uh, how are you?
1: How, how, how are you doing my boy the good news is that Simon Balkan is feeling better oh you're a trooper but don't worry my head doesn't weigh 40 pounds on its own oh it's <laughs> so close to the end so of the close year. oh feeling feeling Simon Balkan is feeling better I've turned the corner and I'm, I'm well enough to uh to be here and Thank to you. talk to you about this this uh crucial section. Of the dead zone, which is packed full of wonderful details and fantastic moments and an ob- and observations, and it's a very important section. And somehow, I think it almost gets, no, not overlooked, but our eye, to a large extent, is focused on the bigger villain, bigger villain in inverted commas there, um, and. If, if you're not careful, you can sort of r- not rush through this section, but just make sure to pay attention to all the, the information that we get about, about this villain, because I think it's very well observed. And um, Stephen King makes a couple of very insightful points about this particular villain that he's created here.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, it, it still blows my mind that... For most other novelists, I always feel that you know, it would be about Frank Dodd. This would be a novel about uh, an individual with second sight, yes, but it would really just be maybe a crime thriller, you know, or, or on the hot on the heels of, of Frank Dodd. And this is, you know, the Frank Dodd section. But, you know, King effectively, really, you know, obviously we, we, we've seen some of Dodd's terrible deeds and we get this. Um, sense of him being around but we're talking it's a nova novella or a novelette as uh, we discovered with cycle of the werewolf um it's it's really dispatched in such short shrift that um still blows my mind because we just think wow that that for many writers that would be a 304 pager just on dodd alone um and, and it's testament to the character he's created and the horror that the ghost of Frank Dodd, as we know, you know, is referenced in Cujo and and, and lives and and permeates Castle Rock in in, in all the other books. Um, but
1: actually, as you say, it, it's it's really slight. In you know, in essence, yes, it's very economical. But the um, the character casts a very long shadow. Yeah, and I think it well, because it's it's told from Johnny's point of view. You know, obviously. Frank Dodd, the Castle Rock killer, has been tormenting the uh, community for quite a few years. But as far as Johnny is con- concerned, it, th- that, that time frame is completely contracted because his experience and his exposure, if you like, to it is, is is much is much shorter. So we sort of get a sense of the community's fear and frustration with the police. and. By the same token, um, we also sense Johnny's sort of starting to get up to speed.
0: And we find him, don't we, at the moment, Johnny? In, um, you know, when we left him at the end of uh, the previous chapter and the previous episode that we did uh, in our Dead Zone coverage, he was rolling around in a hayloft and it was glorious, but obviously incredibly sad because it was this glimpse of the what could have been. And that heartbreaking detail of his dad playing with the grandchild that could have been his. Um, so there's this melancholia that, that's there throughout the whole thing. Um, but at the moment, yeah, we find Johnny as you know, the snow has come early that year. King writes, there was six inches on the ground by November the 7th. And he's really hibernating. You know, he's got this horrific journalist who has who he's exposed, who's now exposing him. And, you know, calling him a hoax and a charlatan. And actually, you know, for Johnny, it's just this comfort in being forgotten. He just wants to be left alone. Um, And he's nursing his wounds and just being with his dad, just kind of healing, really. But also, you know, the anger that he's feeling as well. This anger that he's starting to feel uh, towards God. Uh, What a power God has given you, Johnny. Sure, that's right. God's a real prince. He knocked me through the windshield of a cab and I broke my legs and I spent five years or so in a coma and three people died. The girl I love got married. She had the son who should have been mine. by a lawyer who's breaking his ass to get to Washington so he can help run the big electric train set. If I'm on my feet for more than a couple of hours at a time, it feels like somebody took a long splinter and rammed it straight up my leg to my balls. God's a real
1: sport. Bless me. Oh, yeah. Oh, God's been a real sport to me. I love the way that uh, that is distilled as the dialogue in the yeah. film. Um, yeah. Yes, yeah, so it's just, what? Are you kidding? Yeah. Bless yeah. Me? What? <laughs> yeah. So, what What have you been smoking? R- really? You think this is a, a, a blessing? Well, the, the blessing comes in its. Uh, in its own way, when the journalist says, oh, this guy's a fraud, he's a hoax, he's a, you yeah. know, we, they, we take pride in exposing these people. It's like, oh, thank God. Oh, brilliant. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Brilliant. I love that. He's like, you write what you want, man. That That's fine. You
0: know, this is just what I want, because if it means people leave me alone. And it's interesting how King writes in italics in that section where Johnny's railing is railing, um, you know, God and the universe. And quite rightly, you know, and he's so benevolent for so much of the novel that actually these moments of anger are really powerful. Uh, and King writes in three lines of italic, um, what a power God has given you, Johnny. He has a job for you, Johnny. Don't run from him, Johnny. Don't hide away in a cave. And if you just hand picked and isolated those three lines. That could be his inner monologue. It could be the voice of George Bannerman, who we're about to meet, could be his mother. Um, you know, it's just just these voices there, and the fact it's in italics, just reminding him, yeah, blessing, curse, whatever it may be, you've got work to do. Um, and you know, you 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 want to hide, but actually you need to come out into the light. Um, And we're going to show you why in a moment.
1: And this gift isn't going away. It's not fading with time. Um, Because Herb asks him, you know, is it, have you still got it? And he goes, yeah, I've still, I've I've definitely still got it. It's still, it's still still happening. He has no control, it seems, over um, how or when um it's not every single time and what's interesting for me is that um in the in the writing uh, the contact can come about through um touching objects as well i think in the in the film it's much more specifically physical contact with other people he has to take their hand or something like that but in the novel all he needs is um is to touch something of somebody's there's that lovely section when he's gone for dinner with his dad and he's um in the cloakroom and he's looking through through these uh, these coats. It was like that sometimes. on on another occasion, he could have handled every coat for twenty minutes and gotten nothing at all. Here was a lady's coat with a fur collar. She was having an affair with one of her husband's poker buddies, was scared sick about it, but didn't know how to close it off. A man's denim jacket, sheepskin lined. This guy was also worried about his brother. Who had been badly hurt on a construction project the week before? A small boy's parker. His grandmother in Durham had given him a Snoopy transistor radio just today, and he was mad because his father hadn't let him bring it into the dining room with him. And another one, a plain black topcoat that had turned him cold with terror and robbed him of his appetite. The man who owned this coat was going mad. So far, he had kept up appearances, not even his wife suspected but his vision of the world was being slowly darkened by a series of increasingly paranoid fantasies. Touching that coat had been like touching a writhing coil of snakes. Just to touch a a coat and have it put you off your food.
0: (laughs) My God, would that work with you? Would anything
1: put you off your food? It might, but it might be by something I saw. I think yeah. rather than touched. Or you'd go,
0: look. I need some comfort now. I need, <laughs> I need that sticky toffee <laughs> pudding to just get these image of writhing, coiling snakes out of my mind.
1: That's a, that's a good strategy. Yes, I think that might work just just fine. Yeah, exactly, Johnny's got it all wrong here. you need to do is eat (laughs) come on man
0: well everyone keeps saying that to johnny it's this theme that keeps cropping up you know throughout all the characters we meet it's kind of like come on son you need to eat more you know he's skin and bones isn't he this fragility of this this bird almost and everyone going you need some flesh on your bones so i i I think that's it you should
1: take him under your wing si yeah have a good good meat pie and some eating mess and some chicken soup and I'm good to go. Give right is rain.
0: <laughs> I love that you picked that um passage because I remember that really haunted me mm. on just the way King writes, you know, from from a man who's starting to go mad. And again, he's so economical with his writing in this novel because you could take that coat, cloakroom section. And almost extrapolated into a short novel, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> all of these characters, all of these stories, he just gives us a couple of sentences and we want to know more. And I remember that man who that man who was slowly going mad and starting to hallucinate did really haunt me, but it's just dispensed in a matter of sentences. Um and I think, yeah, you've used the word economical about the film. I find that with the text as well. There is not a word wasted. It's all killer, no
1: filler. In fact, when I read that same section, I wondered if for a minute um, it was, in fact, Frank Dodd's coat. Ah, yeah, right. Wouldn't it, be, oh. wouldn't it be crazy if he ended up in the same restaurant? Just sort of you know, had that sort of brush with him, but it's not because it mentioned the man having a wife and Frank Dodd's not married. No, but what a what a what a great read on it, you know, especially if it was this black,
0: slick raincoat. Yeah. And if that was it, you know, we know obviously the trauma Frank went through when he was a kid. We've discussed that in, in, in a previous episode, but yeah, if he is starting to hallucinate and and go mad, oh, that's, that's,
1: that's a great take on it. Yeah, it was just a thought there for a moment. I thought, well, wouldn't that be something if I just had this very close encounter but there was there was some, there was some warmth in this in this section as well. There's a, a short section about the uh, the nostalgia of Christmas decorations that get passed on down the generation or last last for years. Yeah. Um, I remember being a very nice uh, change in tone. That sort of because you know it's just, it, 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 it's that time of year at the moment as well, so. Yeah. It's, um, been I mean, quite comforting and homely around about reading about that sort of thing, and uh, I do seem to remember having Christmas decorations that we didn't, you know, really replace. We kept them for for years. Yeah. We got out the same, the same ones, and it, it you didn't feel, I didn't feel bad about it at all. There was something quite yeah. uh, reassuring about it. Yeah. Did you have that? yeah absolutely
0: I just love it because you 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 found that a warm passage and um you know you got the warmth and change of tone I found that bit achingly sad actually and oh. but but funny as well in the way that King writes from Johnny's point of view um you looked at the ornaments and remembered that just the two of you had been around to put them up this year just the two of you because your mother went crazy and then she died <laughs> but the fragile Christmas tree ornaments were still here still hanging around to decorate another tree taken from the small backwood lot yeah absolutely you know the fragility of the the decorations but they outlive people right they're just going to carry on being passed down they you know people's lives come and go situations change hearts get broken uh, people lose their lives but the christmas tree decorations as fragile as they may be they hang around. You blow off the dust, and they—if—if uh, they—if they could talk,
1: right? The stories they would tell. <laughs> yeah, if those baubles and silver chains and uh, angel decorations could uh, could speak, yes, uh, they'd um, offer some very interesting insights on what they've seen. I'm sure.
0: Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> but it is true, isn't it? It's part of, and again, there's that way of just, you know, I, I love it how it just brings to life, you know, the warmth of his mother for those moments before she went crazy, you know. Just um, and uh, when you looked at the ornaments, you remember that there'd been once a mother in the place to direct the tree trimming operation, always ready and willing to piss you off by saying a little higher or a little lower, or I think you've got too much tinsel on that left side, dear. <laughs> i remember so clearly absolutely in our in our house when i grew up you know when my folks were still around and it was you know it was definitely you know that was that mum did that you know dad and i would give a give a stab at putting together the tinsel and all of that and and then mum would course correct and go oh you haven't done it like that have you and then in what seemed to be a a, a, like literally almost like an instant, i like you know the the flash of a wand suddenly this christmas tree from this sorry state was just this you know incredible princely looking thing uh there's something about maybe a mother's touch there you know that's that's what i get with that with that passage
1: <laughs> it just, just needs that missing perspective which they don't have an easy fix a reminder of what's not there yeah this time so yes there is definitely an, an edge of poignancy <laughs> to it because what what it means for johnny is it's a reminder that actually um as you pointed out from um, from the film, that one moment when um, uh, Herb says, oh, yeah, oh. You, your mother always did the tree. Oh, I, herself, It's just contained in that little
0: that yes.
1: reminder of, yeah, she's not here anymore.
0: Yeah. And again, I think it speaks to what you mentioned about how it's really reading the book, having done the film first and then the reread my appreciation and love for the film, although it's not at the levels that, uh, that that you have for it, because I don't have that story with it yet. Um, but it's made me appreciate it even more how it's just, everything is distilled, you know, how actually, again, this passage about Christmas is really important here. And they take it and they distill it and they put it into one line of dialogue. Um yeah that's all you need. It feels like there's such a synchronicity between the film and the novel here you know they really do or almost with exception perhaps for me of maybe top of my head Shawshank and possibly Green Mile um uh and, and the mist you know they're almost like the the, the two exist side by side mm. yeah you
1: know? yeah I agree I think they complement each other very mm. very well yeah yeah. Um, I think the the film did a did a remarkable job of um distilling this story mm, yeah all the, the extra details that you get in the writing yeah um and all the little i don't know all, all, all the little all the little presents, all the little um Easter eggs, you know two holidays there in one pick your favorite yeah. um but quite early on in this in the in this section <laughs> as well the The song "This Little Light of Mine" mm. is, is referenced. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. That song is used somewhere, and I'm pretty sure it's in season one of Mister Mercedes. Ah, right, okay. It comes back back up then. I'm pretty sure it plays in one of in one of the episodes, and then again, it's used in the um, in the credits at the end of the um, episode. Um, it drove me a little bananas trying to work out exactly what because it, it's not used for no no reason. It's used very, very specifically. Yeah. It's a deliberate choice in the context of the um of that story. Um if anybody can remember where it is, please let us know because <laughs> put me out of my out of my madness. <laughs> That's gonna be your writhing snakes moment, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna be able to eat until I know. So <laughs> If you believe that one I'll tell you another but <laughs> I'm sure it's season one because I watched I re-watched it not that long ago um but I say not that long I think I about mean about three or four months but it was just lovely to see that specific song talked about mentioned in that context mm. uh oh yes all that comes that's going to come back up again in the in the yeah. universe in about oh I don't know 40ish years time <laughs> yeah. and it
0: you know when some people talk about um like mind maps i know i've worked with some actors that um have a mind map i don't know if it's something you've ever done but you know where you just you put down you know like all these thought bubbles and every everything's connected you know it, it, it's you know you, you you draw like little journeys of one thought leading to another and. um it's quite powerful visual aid and i've seen i just think if you put down the king multiverse and start mm. and just drew the threads drew it as like this mind map explosion as you say you go oh that's going to come back that'll be back in 40 years time when you think of the threads of the stephen king universe again we're about to meet sheriff george bannerman and it's that really interesting thing of reading a character that you know exactly how they die <laughs> and the grisly way in which they are going to die um and we, we will put a spoiler alert, you know about this, but obviously, you know we covered it um, many, many episodes ago in our loving uh, episode uh, dedicated to Cujo. And as we know, Bannerman is dispatched by the great St. Bernard. Um, and it's just that sucker punch of, you know, we get to know Bannerman and we get to know a little bit of him and his family and the kind of man he is and the kindness and the warmth and this bear of a man and this good, good guy. And we get to know him through Johnny and. Um, And all the while, I'm like, oh, God, I just if if only Johnny could say, now, listen, there's going to come a time where (laughs) you're going to go out and, uh, you know, it's going to be in some back roads somewhere and there's going to be a large dog. Just don't go without backup or make sure you've got a couple of
1: guns strapped to you that day. Yeah, as you say, Bannerman's end is nearer than he Probably thinks. Yeah, um, it's it's in two two novels. Time we've got the dead zone, then we've got Firestarter, and then we've got um and then we've got Cujo. Now, you know, we don't know exactly what order the stories are in in Stephen King's mind. We don't have any evidence whatsoever that Stephen King thought. Well, you know what? I think I might make bannerman the victim one of uh one of qjo's victims he may not have known it until he was actually writing it but when i first read that section when bannerman and johnny meet in the in the diner bannerman takes johnny's hand because this guy looks really ill i don't think he's got long to live i misread that i thought it was johnny shaking bannerman's hand having uh, a sense that, yeah, Bannerman's not got, maybe he's ill, has he got cancer? I don't know, maybe he's sick, but he's not got that long to live. And it was Johnny sensing Bannerman's death and Stephen King thinking, you know what, I'm going to kill him off in two months' time. (laughs) I think that's unlikely.
0: (laughs) Oh, love it, love it. Or is there a world in which... Yeah, Bannerman talks about shaking his hand. He felt it was draining. Mm. Uh, It was a little like getting a shock from a bare electrical wire. Is there a world in which if Johnny touches you, you're cursed? Is there a remnant, a hangover from that, that means that there's, you know, his mark is upon him? (laughs) I mean, I don't know, because I think Johnny is benevolent, actually. Johnny is the Jesus-like character. But, uh, yeah. Hmm. I just I feel for Bannerman so much. Um and we get to know him, you know, we get to know that obviously the horror that Frank Dodd was, you know, within spitting distance of uh, Bannerman's daughter, Katrina. Yeah. yeah. And the way in which he tells that to Johnny, you know, um the fact that it was his daughter that was, you know, literally, you know, walked past, luckily she was with a friend. Um and George Bannerman says, "Um, you know what that makes me feel like? It makes me feel like I almost stepped into an empty elevator shaft. Like I passed up the mushrooms at dinner and someone else died of toadstool poisoning. And it makes me feel dirty. It makes me feel filthy. I guess maybe it also explains why I finally called you. I'd do anything right
1: now to nail this guy. Anything at all. Yeah, it gives them that real personal connection to it. I mean, Castle Rock isn't a huge community anyway, but the fact that uh, Katrina was in the in the killer's sights and was probably only saved by the fact that she had company with her has brought it really close to home for Bannerman. So, as you say, it's it's even if it wasn't already, because um, the People of the community are looking harder and harder at him to get this killer caught. There's a real fire under him now,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. so he's he's definitely got skin in the game, right? Um, mm. And again, I think just that way of King fleshing out so we now know Bannerman has a daughter, and, you know, again, just starts to round the character and I'm just going, oh, I know what you're going to do to him in two novels time. (laughs) But welcome to the world of Stephen King. That's what happens, right? As we know, um, these echoes, these thinnies, these characters that pop up here again, you know, and you get these attachments and the price price of love, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah. And Bannerman was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. And came face to face with the wrong dog. Yeah. When you come at it with that knowledge, it gives Bannerman's end even even greater weight. He's so quickly dispatched, um, and it sort of sort of it's over so quickly mm. in in QJ. I only spent all that time with Bannerman. thought so I got to know him, he was a friend. He was a good guy. He helped catch the Castle Rock Killer, and he just trusted Johnny and he worked with him. And it was. And they had this wonder, they had this relationship. They have this, they build this relationship that becomes very tempestuous yeah. at one point. Um, I love those um those sections uh in the um in this part when Johnny is is helping Bannerman because interestingly Johnny would have been really good at this. If he hadn't been an English teacher, he could have been a really good detective. Yes, absolutely. Um Yes. He has the right disposition for it, the right temperament. Yes. Uh, he works really well with um, with Bannerman. Of course, he identifies the Castle Rock killer correctly. And fascinatingly, with so many of these um, personalities, shall we say, a lot of people's instant responses is to go, get the hell out of here. There's no way in hell it's him. Don't be ridiculous. I've worked this with this man for for years. I know him. I know him well. We've you know we spent time together. We've had meals together. We've had celebratory times together. There's no way in hell it's this guy. Yeah, because he's almost you know he's the son
0: that George always wanted but could never have. You know he, he talks about that, doesn't he? About you know the fact that they they've got the daughter, but that that was it. You know, it was a difficult birth, so they couldn't. You know have a son and and so frank is this son and george is this father figure and absolutely the moment when johnny points out the truth is when we see bannerman i mean he really pushes it he really says if you really can see such things i pity you you're a freak of god no different from a two-headed cow i once saw at a carnival i'm sorry that's a shit thing to say i know (laughs) johnny's retort The Bible says God loves all his creatures, Johnny said. His voice was a bit unsteady. Yeah? Bannerman nodded and rubbed the red places on the sides of his nose where his glasses sat. Got a funny way of showing it, hasn't he? Oh, again, full rounded characters. Bannerman is not this saint. No. He's this man that just then, and that moment when he... But Let it be anyone but Frank. And he bites and he bites back at Johnny. But then amazingly, he's very quick to go. I'm sorry. That was a really lousy thing to say, but you know, um, there's emotions, there's emotions running so, so high. This sense that, you know, is this going to be Bannerman's legacy that he wasn't able to catch the castle rock strangler and it could have been his daughter. Um, and, yeah, Johnny, you just see him just, again, getting slapped in the face <laughs> and in the course of, you know, again, you called me. Let me remind you, I was just quite happy at home, letting the world forget about me and forgetting about the world. You were the one that
1: called me in here. Yeah, you you started this ball rolling, not me. I didn't want this. Yeah. I didn't call this. I didn't invite this. Um. I've done done what you wanted. Yeah. It's because you don't like the answer. (laughs) Yeah. Then you shouldn't have asked the question, should you? Mm. I mean, Johnny does, does have to be quite sort of, um, stark and blunt. Yeah. About it. And plain. Is he always is? Yeah. Always part. um,
0: And the fact is, you know that the the killer is right there. The Castle Rock Strangler is right there, working side by side um, with George. And you know he's a policeman. And yeah, the 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 rings under his eyes, the pale look, the fact that he hasn't looks like he hasn't slept for ages. Again, you know, put down to well, he's working the case hard. You know, he's dedicated. Again, I would love, I would love, love, love to see this the frank dodd and george bannerman story extrapolated into a brand new novel uh, we, we i know we, you and i've spoken about sometimes where you think actually this novel could have been shorter or this one could have been longer i think we both said the mist it's perfect perfect in what it does but it almost leaves you wanting more leaves you wanting to know what happens with this i would i think it's there's such scope obviously it's perfect as it is but wow, I would absolutely read, you know, because you could look at it from right from the beginning of Dodd's life, you know, and then from the Dodd character, getting away with it, the murders, Bannerman. This could be a whole
1: 500-page novel in itself. Mm. Bannerman and Dodd, the early years. (laughs) Yeah. In fact, it could could take place um, whilst Johnny is in a coma. Yeah. It could be that that period them sort of working this case and others mm. whilst um Johnny is uh completely out of the picture right absolutely yeah yeah it shouldn't in some respects come as any surprise that um that it is Frank Dodd because after all it's the best place to hide something yeah in plain sight
0: <laughs> yeah cycle of the werewolf the reverend yeah exactly again king was the authority figure you can trust me i'm a cop i'm a police officer a <laughs> cop you idiot but yeah the castle rock novel hey maybe we should write write to Cy king and just say listen got this idea
1: <laughs> what, what do you reckon um <laughs> i reckon it, i reckon it's not going to make it Make it to his desk somehow. I've got the feeling it might get filtered out. Yeah,
0: I think they're just going to Okay, these jokers again. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I hadn't thought of that. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I don't think that letter would get to him. But very interested. I know we're excited about, um, you know, um, next May, Outcomes, You Like It Darker, King's upcoming collection, uh, of which one of the short stories is called Rattlesnakes, um, which is told from the perspective of Vic Trenton, Donna's husband and the father of Tad from Cujo, um, and so it's a a sequel to Cujo. So we can't quite leave that dog and that world alone.
1: Yeah, another character casting a long shadow, a very long, fluffy shadow. Oh, come here, good boy, good boy. Uh, okay,
0: easy, easy now. Come, come away, come, come, come away from that rabbit hole. Come on. Yes, You're... yeah. That's it. I mean, come on, Johnny. You know, you think as a result of this, you know, if Johnny if Johnny and Bannerman had stayed friends, okay, Mm. which I think potentially because of the horrors they've seen, it's very difficult to. And but if they were to stay mates, you think, oh, God, that's the kind of friend you'd want by your side. But again, I guess it's the thing. Johnny has this gift, but it's sparked at certain moments, you know, and the rest of the time you get the sense that it's um, passive you know it takes something to spark it into action the visions you know a handheld or a handshake or an object being held otherwise if it was active the whole time i mean he like that man would go mad right if every single person you just brushed against suddenly it was like oh i know what your future's going to look like that is that would send him mad um, so yeah i love the fact that this it's there this gift this curse this blessing whatever we however it wants to
1: be viewed just is sparked at certain moments. Yes, and it's um, it's random. It's not necessarily provoked by anything in particular yeah. There doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason to it. Yeah. Because, yes, I agree, as you say, if um, it had been written in such a way that it, it happened every single time he touched something or someone, mm. we'd be dealing with a very different version of Johnny Smith, one certainly plagued by... Yeah. Noir, I think, and, and madness and just being mm. sent in an extremely dark world. He would yeah. become he could even become the villain himself.
0: Yeah. Ooh, hey, listen. Again, a dead zone prequel.
1: So why don't we write I I mean Mr. Who King Mr. Wait? King, this is gold here. I really enjoyed this section where it's all coming together and the pieces are starting to fall into place. And Bannerman and Johnny are sort of, you know, putting this this all together. And um, they've got a list of the the victims and when they died and where Frank Dodd was at the time of all of the murders. And it doesn't confirm him, but it really doesn't rule him out either. Um, it's interesting that Alma is the first victim in the novel, which is the last victim in the film. And... It's, yeah, it's all starting to sort of look a bit kind of well, he he, he could have done it. But what about this two year period when there was there were no killers, there were no murders in Castle Rock at all? Well, he was away. Where was he? Well, he was he was over doing this course, and then they check in with the police department where he was doing the course, and lo and behold, there were some victims who were murdered in exactly the same way as the Castle Rock killer in the area that Frank Dodd was spending a lot of time. I mean, it does emphasize again that, you know, Johnny and Bannerman are a real detective force to be to be reckoned with. Yeah. Um, and what the other things I think that makes it more. Heartbreaking is the the insight that you get into Frank Dodd and you see him as this in this moment, as this sort of terrified. Um, abused child he's been tormented himself by his um by his mother by people in his his community and they they've done things to him um and of course it's it's course it it's messed him up and i i like that that um a writer like stephen king acknowledges this you know no nobody does nothing for no reason it's uh it's really important to Remember that when you're um, approaching a character, playing someone who, who does reprehensible things. Well, no one does nothing for no reason. So why? Why do they do this? What's behind their um, behaviour? Why do they feel that, that doing this is um, a means of relieving their pain? Um, it's a cliche, but it's, it's true. What's my motivation? I guess the only the only character
0: that comes springs to my mind of who does things for well the motivation is just the love of chaos and anarchy I guess we're talking the joker well it it depends which interpretation of the character you're looking at <laughs> beautiful <laughs> yes
1: because definitely in, well, not the Jared Leto not the Jared Leto one because that's just rubbish <laughs> no not the Jared Leto one um I think we'll pass on that one yes but, yeah um, pass on
0: anything Jared Leto please <laughs>
1: The Heath Ledger interpretation makes a very good point because um, the Joker tells this story about how he got these scars a number of times in the film, and each time he tells the story, it's different. Yeah. The unreliable narrator. Yeah. So all of them could be true in a in a sense from a certain mm. point of view. Mm. None of them could be true. Mm. All of them could be true. You know, mm. depending on what's going on in his in his mind mm. at the time. Um. There's the backstory which suggests that his life was completely and utterly torn apart and the character was sort of reborn in, in a sense. Um, and his his point of view is that he is the only sane person in the room because I, I am the one that, can rec- that recognizes what utter chaos um, life is. And here are all of you mad people trying to impose order Into this unpredictable, chaotic world. You're the mad ones. I'm the only sane person pointing out how ridiculous that all is.
0: Like Johnny's mum here, right? You know? You will think I'm the nut I'm
1: the sane one. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Because I can see it for how it really is. Yes. But how it really is 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 your interpretation of it. And Vera has a very, you Mm. know, a very specific view about how it is and how it should be and what it all means. And so, to her, anything that sort of challenges that or contradicts that is um, is going to come across as mad. Yeah, to her. Mm. Um uh,
0: Yeah, I, you know, and as you mentioned, you know, King shows us, you know, what has caused these scars on on, on Frank Dodd and. It's just when it comes into razor sharp focus when they go to the house, yet again, another house of horror. Um, And we see the monster behind the monster um, when we meet Henrietta and Mrs. Henrietta Dodd. And I got like the real even darker shades of Eddie's mum from it. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, in the way that she's described, um, you know, the first time you meet her, she's a big woman who was carrying a dead weight of flesh on her frame. Johnny had never seen a woman who looked any sicker. Her skin was a yellowish grey and he describes her as a mountain of meat.
1: Yeah, it's an unpleasant
0: image. Yeah. Even referencing that actually her eyes had that frenzy that Vera's had at times when she was, you know, transported with, you know, the rapture um and you know so much of this novel is again you know we know that george is almost like this father figure to frank frank's the son like he never had um and, and frank here is this little kid he's infantilized um when they go into frank's bedroom and he's not been allowed to grow up um and and, and to pass from being a child to being a, a young man to an adult You know, the way that the room is kept, it's described as a child's room. Mm -hmm. It's just utterly sinister and terrifying and heartbreaking at the same time. And there is a certain wallpaper that he has in this watermarked room, um, rocking horses. But also, do you know what else is on the wallpaper? Can you remember?
1: I've got a feeling it was dancing clowns. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. Covered in Pennywise's. You're not going to freak any kid out. No wonder yeah, yeah. he's mad. In fact, is it possible?
0: Why not? With the way we're pulling the threads together and uh, weaving it into a Frankenstein's monster of, you know, uh, of King novels, why not? But it's the way that Bannerman says, my God, what is this? And, you know, that's from just going into the char- into Frank's room, which has been kept, you know, as this memoriam for... for a child but frank is still alive well you know yeah also we think um but even then the horror of what this is not normal what the hell has gone on here
1: yeah yeah he's gonna say he's got this 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 child's room he's got a toy box in the corner still yeah
0: raggedy andy of staring with that um shiny
1: blank eyes i mean it's the stuff of nightmares right in a sense it is but on on, on, the, on the other hand it makes perfect sense mm. um that his mother has has done this to him in a sense she's kept him mm. like this she knew mm. and she didn't give him any any help um she didn't provide any means of getting better you know she didn't treat him anyway um now we can speculate as to as to why she did that, at the end of the day, you could certainly argue that she's more guilty than than he is, yeah. Because she facilitated mm. him, she created him, mm. um, and she did nothing to 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 stop it. I mean, that is a crime in and of itself. I think, isn't it? Mm. um I think of the exact legal term for it? Isn't it negligent homicide, where you just basically watch it happen? And I think that's pretty. that sums up largely what what Henrietta Dodd has done. Yes, I I
0: agree, yeah. uh, You knew. All of this time, you knew. And then she screams at him, George Bannerman, don't you go up there and wake my baby? Again, Frank's still her baby. I found myself just so conflicted here because I did feel this sympathy for him. And the way that King doesn't glamorise this is not a big shootout. You know, it's not a big, dramatic finish it's something pathetic and sad and completely um avoidable you know mm. um that that's the sadness with it so but but again just the i'm just in awe of the way that king treats the whole dodd story from the economy of scale to not glamorizing it to choosing to make it just so hard hitting in its sadness and its melancholy yeah. And, it's bre- and it's brevity. It's brevity. You know, this kid that never got the chance to have a life, and has since taken so many other people's opportunity to have a life. He's robbed them of it. Um, I, I, and King, I get this. I, I get the feeling he's not in any way. There's no none of the pros that passes judgment or makes um, you know um, a declaration. It is just holding this up and showing us this underbelly, this darkness that makes you just go, my
1: God. As you say, it's very brief. Um, and I think it hits harder for it when they find Frank's uh, body and there's that two-word um, suicide note, I confess. Yeah. he's, he's uh, He hasn't done anything with the scissors in this one, but he's cut his own throat from ear to ear. Yeah. Because he, he knows he's... He knows he's caught. Yeah. He can at least recognise his guilt. He's not one of those people that's going to try and manipulate the system and weasel his way out of it and Mm -hmm. pull in his contacts. And if he has any, which I doubt he does, because he's such a lone wolf predator type. Mm. Um, He's not like Greg Stilson. He doesn't have Mm. friends and contacts and people who do his dirty work for him. Mm. Um, He's a real contrast in that respect um he knows he's he's cornered there's 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 no way out and he just goes yeah my i'm done i confess yeah exit frank dodd stage right
0: and then a nice little uh literary technique uh after that uh that king brings in with the news newspaper clippings um from the new york times just talking about you know what happened um and, and then the letters as well um you know the letter that Johnny writes to Sarah, um, and clearly there's been the passing of time, and she's been checking in on him, and yeah, there's a nice little tone to it. You know, for the last time, kiddo, get off that cocaine. <laughs> and then that letter from uh, Dave, uh, one of the teachers, that's just saying, look, I'm I'm just so sorry, but in 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 the wake of all of this, you know you've been voted, you've been blackballed, you you, you can't come and teach. Um, Again, you know, Johnny, at every stage where he does something that's going to benefit mankind, he helped catch the Castle Rock killer. But immediately again, it's that, no, 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 you're too hot, we can't touch you. Um, No good deed goes unpunished. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And a good little reference in that letter that you can tell how painful it is for this guy to write, and how sorry he is for this state of affairs. This isn't even on a par with tossing Rabbit Run or Catcher in the Rye out of the classroom. This is worse. It stinks. And as we know, Stephen King, the man himself, on the receiving end of having his books, including Eleven, Twenty Two, Sixty Three, <laughs> banned from various classrooms and reading lists. Um, and that's it, isn't it? As we said, the minute they ban your books, you don't walk, run to the nearest place you can and get hold of that book. Because mm. that's that's where the power
1: is. Although in a sense, it's also it's telling, yes, you should run to the library and read what it is they don't want you to read. What is it they want banned? What is it they don't want me to think about or to um, to learn more about? Because... It is. It is foolishness, certainly, but there's also a certain intelligence to it, too, because you've got to remember that no government in the world is stupid enough to give you the education that you need to overthrow them. So when they do say, oh, we're banning this, this and this, you go, well, what is it you're banning? Yeah. Why is that a danger? Why do you feel that that is a threat to you? To teach, to learn, to
0: know, to serve. (laughs) Serve my ass. He says, (laughs) and he just has this really sharp memory of Frank Dodd riding a dead toilet seat into eternity, blood in his all-American blonde hair. I confess, such a the description of that in his all-American blonde hair, (laughs) Mm. (laughs) and that that image riding a toilet seat into eternity. I mean, uh, yeah, what a way to go, right? And then we finish that that section, uh, this part, in fact, you know, the end of part one with Johnny, just that plea. He's always pleading to, as we know, the unfeeling, unseeing or the all-seeing universe, just going, look, killing me. You people are killing me. Leave me alone. Can't you see you're killing me? And then this sense of him going, I'm done. I am quits. Fine. You know what? That is it. I, I'm gone now. And I go into the part two thinking, well, that that's it. He's been coaxed out through the goodness of his own heart, you know, to to, to catch a killer, which he did, and again immediately gets slapped for that. Um,
1: will we see him again, Sy? Si? Will we? Yeah. By the end of that section, he's done. He's got you know, no more of this. So, yeah, might he just turn around and walk away? To find out, tune back
0: in, dear listeners, to our next episode of King Size, where we start to dive into part two, The Laughing Tiger. King Size was written and presented by Matt Robinson and Simon Bolkin. Edited and produced by Matt Robinson. Music, Storm Coming by Last Picture Show, available on Spotify. Find us on Instagram at kingsizepodcast. If you like what you hear, please drop us a review and subscribe to the show.